Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon, as we always do with the call 10 stocks that you've suggested we get through them in 60 minutes and i put them to our expert panel for their adjudication and what a panel we have today ben clark from tms capital ben good to see you thanks in the studio good to have you back here at barangaroo great to be here um and also luke winchester from meriwether capital uh in newcastle uh ben uh luke rather how are you have you had a good week Uh I have, Koshi. It's been a good week, um, you know, digesting a lot of uh, quarterly reports. And uh, yes, once once we're open to the greater Sydney bubble, I'll, I you know, can't wait to get in there and, and join yeah. the crew as well. No, no, we look forward to having you back. So much happening, Luke, at the moment, isn't there, with third quarter earnings out of the United States. Um, inflation is starting to rear its head again. And everyone sort of uh, scratching their head, the big debate on when interest rates will increase. Um, because a ripple effect of the share market can be pretty significant, can't it? Uh, Luke? Sorry, I think I just lost you there. Just lost uh, you there, Koshi. Yeah, yeah, the ripple effect of higher interest rates and higher inflation uh, gets everyone talking, does it? Yeah, I still don't have you great. Oh, okay. All right, we might reconnect with you. Uh, I'll put it to, to Ben. It's sort of... Got everyone pondering at the moment. It does. It? it does because you know with those quarterlies you're talking about. Nearly everyone. I mean, Coles today, Woolworths yesterday. These supply chain disruptions that have been created by COVID are having knock-on effects for it seems everyone, and it's in places you wouldn't even expect. You know, Coles was talking today about how there's a a, a pallet shortage that is so significant they've had to set up a task force to try and make sure that they've got enough pallets because Christmas is coming up and yeah, you know yeah. it's going to it's a boom quarter for them yeah. on the way and um, part of the reason for that is that um, Victoria's manufacturing industry got shut down and there's all these pallets stuck in buildings which are closed and normally they'd be recycling through the economy so <laughs> it's just another example of um, the pressures that businesses are under and that's leading to cost pressures for those businesses and they're yep. trying to pass that on to us as consumers to keep their margins and that's showing up in the inflation data that you saw yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. It's all connected. I thought we'd focus on coals today as our stock of the day. Uh, as Ben was saying, they've updated the market reporting 1.6% rise in first quarter sales as continued lockdowns kept consumers flocking to the shops to stock up on essentials. On the outlook, the supermarket giant expecting COVID-19 costs to peak in October and moderate further into November and December as consumer behaviour begins to get back to normal. Uh, Big arrival Woolworths, of course, just a couple of days ago, pointed to sales starting to slow in October as restrictions ease. Coles says comparable sales in the early stages 
of the second quarter were broadly online with the previous quarter. Both Coles and Woolies have benefited uh, from uh, on and off lockdowns, of course, over the past year as big cities like Melbourne and Sydney were forced into some of the longest COVID curbs in the world. Um, so, Ben, as you assess all up, apart from supply chain, yeah. what did you think of the Coles update and compared with Woolies? Um, to be honest, Coles was probably a bit, seems on the face value, it seems to be a bit stronger than Woolworths was mm. yesterday, just in terms of probably more like just what they're calling out that they're seeing at the moment, not so yep. much in the last quarter. So Woolworths was probably a bit more cautious and saying as consumers again back out to cafes and restaurants, they're not spending quite as much in the supermarkets as they, yep. as they were. Whereas Coles seemed to be calling out, you know, a quarter that it, broadly in line with the last quarter. So to me, you know, it's, it's incremental, but it's a slight sort of beat probably to what the market was expecting. They've both done really well, I think, managing yeah. so many problems. And, um, um, you know, it's been a boom time, to be honest, for them. And I, I think the other highlight in the Coles um, quarterly today was just that the online sales businesses for both companies have just taken off. And that's a scale game. The, and, and it's also, you know, if you get people trying it, they, they will stick to it. And right. that, as um, the volumes going through their networks ramp up, um, you know, they t capture more margin with increasing volume. Yep. So yep. ultimately, they would love to keep growing the, the, those parts of the business. I think Cole said, you know, 47% growth or something in online yep. sales. So, yep. um, you know, that that's something. And Harris Farm, I don't know if you read, you know, they, they're looking at maybe yep. selling. And, and now keeping it within keeping, the family. Yeah, and saying, you know, calling out the online part of the business. They, I think it's gone up sixfold in two years or something. So... Um, you know, right. that's an area that these businesses can tack on additional profit. Right. So is the is the purple patch for the supermarkets over? I think so. Yeah, right. I, I think... Would you be getting into any of them? I, we we own Woolworths and right. I'd continue to own Woolworths. Right. I think it's a, a great business and Endeavour that was spun out of it, I think it's an interesting business as well. Yeah. But um, I, I think you're probably going to see the cost side of the business kind of normalise a bit and probably oh. the sales side of the business normalise a bit as well. So maybe it's kind of like the earnings sort of standing still for a, right. a year or two rather than, you know, everyone knows that the sales volumes are going to come off, but it's the cost part of the business could insulate right. somewhat of that. So there's not going to be any growth in either of them for the next 12 months? I, I think if there is growth, it's going to be like less than 3 or 4%. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's not going to be right. significant. So happy to hold yeah. if you're already in them, but... Great businesses. Not worth getting in. in no, the I, new I, I wouldn't be chasing them. I think better things to look for at the moment. Okay. All right. Let's get into uh, our first stock that our uh, viewers want us to have a look at. Rory wants a view, Ben, on uh, Regis Resources. It, it's updated the market as well. It's the obviously the, the gold miner. Gold production down 11%. Um, share price has, uh, has dropped a bit as a result. Costs have gone up. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon of Regis? Not a massive fan of gold. Like I, I, I just think that gold should have had one of the biggest purple patches ever in the last couple of years because yeah. everything's been going, you know, the reasons you would own gold have been playing out almost perfectly, yep. um, particularly like printing of money rampant around the world. Yep. Um, honestly, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a crypto owner or, you know, to be honest, big believer, but I think a large part of the gold, what gold would have done has been taken by crypto. Huh? When you look at the trillion odd dollars that is estimated has gone into trip crypto, 
Um, you know, there's kind of very similar reasons to hold Bitcoin as there is to own gold. But, yeah. um, you know, I think looking at that Regis quarterly yesterday, um, it's kind of... That's it, an ugly chart too. It doesn't it? look good, does it? <laughs> you know, and, and the gold price hasn't been that bad. No. It's, it's kind of gone sideways no. for the year. Yeah. So I, I kind of think what, if you look at the quarterly, gold price has been sort of meandering lower. Um, cost side of the business has been rising and we all know you know there's yep. reasons why and so that's having like a double whammy which is affecting the operating cash flow they're earning per ounce which is about 600 australian dollars um, in free cash flow per ounce they i would it's say still pretty good pretty good yeah well, i mean if i could run a business like that yeah I but the I, market's I mean, looking you know is that next year going to be 500 dollars or 400 dollars okay. this is a five-year low yeah Register and it's a pretty big producer, isn't it? Yeah, it, it Half is. Half a million ounces a year. Yeah, I think you know if you looked at Newcrest, Northern Star, um, some of the other big producers, they really haven't had a good period. I don't think there's been any that no. Northern Star was a standout, but that's come right back in recent yeah, yeah. in the last of the merger with Saracen, Saracen. Yeah. yeah, and Bill Beaumont leaving and yeah. um, variety of factors. So, I you know I. I'm going to say a whole. I think the things going in its favour when I was looking at it was that they've got um, a big increase in production that's going to come on next year. And that's yeah. the other thing you've got to look at with gold stocks is what's the mine life of what they're mining? Yeah. Is the production volumes, you know, are they rising or are they falling? Because that's the other part of the equation. And it looks like that is going to kick up. The balance sheet's really strong. They've got plenty of cash. They've got plenty and of cash, yeah. So, you know, and, and the share price has been, to me, it would seem probably... Hammered. Hammered, yeah. So, But see, uh, when, I, when I talk to a lot of um, you guys on the call, they say commodity stocks you buy when they're on their bootstraps. Yeah. It, everything runs in a cycle. Yep. But you've got to have the guts to do it. Yes. Is this the time to buy gold? And particularly when you look at a five-year low yeah. on a gold miner's share price, which is a reasonable, yeah. regarded as being... A reasonable gold buy. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I think they're quite well managed, and yeah. I, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think probably if I was looking at an area at the moment, it'd probably be iron ore, which yeah. um, you know we've seen a, a massive drop in the iron ore price as well. Right. Just because I think you know gold's hard because there really isn't a um, a, a usage of gold. It's more a storage of things. So it's really play sentiment plays a big part in what it's ultimately yeah. worth. Whereas we know iron ore, you know, there is a day-to-day -day requirement if you want to produce steel. Yeah. And the iron ore price now has halved. And yeah. um, the lower grade iron ores dropped by like two thirds or something. Yeah. It's Which been is decimated. Four yeah. excuse. One Mineral resources is yeah. another one. So um, that's probably an area I'd, you know, okay. not be Rather a big resource gold. guy. Yeah. Um, Luke Winchester, what do you think of uh, Regis? back Koshi. Um, yeah look Regis is interesting I hadn't looked at the mid-cap gold space for a while until today and historically it was always you owned a Remelius or a Silver Lake and, and Regis was one that was always plagued with operational issues or, or likewise and went back and had a look at the last quarterly and not much had changed to be honest they had some some more production issues um, a really poor hedging book as well they're, they're stuck selling gold at about $1,500 an ounce compared to the current Aussie spot at like 2400 so um, you know, not a lot of change from that point of view, and the share price probably reflects that. But I, I just come uh, came back then and heard your comments about you, you know when you when you buy these stocks, 
you sort of have to you know see the blood in the streets when, when you step into them and i regis could be could be reaching that point for me it's not it's not a bad business by any means and you're in a beaten down sector in a beaten down stock but uh, the underlying resources um, look quite solid. They've got thirty percent of the Tropicana mine they bought from uh, Independence Group, which some people question whether they overpaid for that, but you can't deny the quality of that resource. Um, and a bit of blue sky from the potential approval of this McPhillamy's uh, mine in, in central New South Wales next to um, Newcrest flagship projects. So if they can get that up, I think it'd be a big boost for the uh, the stock as well. Look, I, I would have it as a hold. Um, I, I know, you know, like you said, you want to try and buy these at, at sort of peak pessimism. Um, but it, it is hard to do. For me, I would hold it if I was still in the stock. Um, otherwise, if I didn't, I would just continue to wait and, and watch it. Definitely put it on your list. Like I said, I think this has been tagged as a bad business, but it's certainly not that. Um, mm. You know, uh, a few a few issues that hopefully management can work through. And if that gold price sentiment turns, it's very much leveraged to the upside uh, more than some of its peers. Okay. All right, uh, Luke, Marcus wants a view on NAB, uh, one of the big four banks, of course. Uh, has had pretty good October compared with its counterparts on the share market. Um, in fact, it was up about 4.5% in October, whereas the others um, sort of about line ball. Goldman Sachs uh, recently put out a note with a price target of almost $31. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, look, it's just really hard for me to, to get excited about any of the big four banks, really. I mean, from a valuation point of view, you're buying them pretty much at their peaks. You know, 15 times earnings for NAB is historically um, right at the top of its range. Um, and, and you're potentially entering into a, a macroeconomic situation that their, their, their tailwinds are, are turning into headwinds as, um, you know, you potentially see a slowdown of the housing market as, as interest rates could potentially rise. Um, that would be positive for their net, net interest margins, and, and people would point to that as you know a rising interest rate. They could they could certainly expand them, but but I think the headwind of that of the um, housing credit growth they've experienced over particularly post COVID the last sort of year and a half, I think that would outweigh any net interest margin expansion. Um, for me, the other thing with NAB, like I just have to point out that this is a business that raised three and a half billion dollars at, at fourteen dollars, um, you know, in, in April last year, and they've recently come out and said they want to do a two point five billion dollar buyback at twenty nine. So if you're an existing shareholder, effectively management has just diluted you, um, you know, at, at, at the depths of COVID, and is now just using that same cash they raised to, to buy back shares at twice the price. For for a business that it, its whole business is on capital allocation, it's certainly not a, a good a good sign from NAB's point of view. And it sort of points to the fact that with that excess cash um, that they didn't end up having to need, they probably don't have any real great ideas about what to do with it other than buy back stock. Um, look, I, I would probably have it as a sell, to be honest, um, on the valuation and, and, and the uh, issues with the outlook. I know it's a cliche, but if you did want to own a bank, particularly for income, um, I think CBA is still heads and shoulders above the other three. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a really good point on that that capital management. Yeah. How's that been? Yeah, and, and it, you know, it seems to happen every cycle. You know, yeah. the, the GFC was the last cycle where the banks all raised it almost at the bottom of the market. And then a few years later, they were starting to return cash to shareholders. Yeah. So I, I would say it's kind of just part of being a bank. You know, you've got to make sure that you're meeting um, tier one capital requirements. You've got to protect yourself against things that you're not sure if they're going to occur or not. And clearly the banks, um, you know, once they once we all realised what was happening with this pandemic, they had to move to make sure that they could withstand whatever was thrown at us. And um, um, effectively what happened is that the worst case scenario didn't play out and they're now all flush with cash. So, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd echo a lot of Luke's comments. I would probably say I, I, I'm going to go a hold just because I think um, the rising interest rate environment is a positive factor for the banks. They are, um, you know, the banks effectively, they lend long and they borrow short. So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, if you've got money in a, in a, in a, a NAB interest, you know, everyday account, yeah. they're not about to put up pathetic. your interest rate. But they started putting up their fixed rates, yes. you know, so they capture margin when they do that because they're borrowing yeah. from you and lending to the Joe Blogs, or they go into overnight credit markets and borrow there and then lend mm. on, you know, a five-year basis. So that, you know, when you get a bit of a tick up in net interest margins over big um, pools of debt, it can be quite meaningful. But long term, you've got also the disruption factor. You've just got so many businesses trying to attack the really profitable parts of the bank's businesses and yep. it's accelerating and it's not going to change. Um, we're going to talk about another one of these today. So um, I'll go a hold. Okay. Uh, and then in the meantime, uh, Macquarie Bank has this week hit, hit record highs, uh, went through 200 bucks for the first time ever, it's dropped a bit below that in the last day or so, but yeah. it's still around 198. Yes. Uh, well, the, this M and A boom that we're seeing, you know, takeovers every day. It's just, you know, incredible time yeah. for them. And then they've, you know, I think everyone is cottoning onto the fact that in the green, you know, the world going zero carbon, they are going to be a pretty big player. Yep. And yep. Um, that that should be good for them. Yeah. Um, Luke, Phil wants a view on smart parking. Uh, Phil says hit hard by COVID in the UK, expanding in Australia and New Zealand. Is this a good reopening play? Really interesting business, this one. It's in sort of car parking technology, but manages 720 car parks on behalf of clients um, in, uh, in Britain. And they also issue the fines if you uh, uh, breach it. Here in Australia, it's more car parking technology, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, Koshi. Um, look, this is why I love doing the call, to be honest. Like, smart parking has been on my radar for many years as a, as a micro cap and has sort of bumbled along, and, and I've, I've looked at it every now and then, but it comes up on the on the list today, and I'm forced to go and have a look, and, and it's a really interesting um, business and potentially turnaround here. Um, you, you nailed it exactly on the head. So um, the large part of their business is essentially based in the UK issuing uh, parking fines. Well, sorry, they don't issue the parking fines, but their technology assists with that. Um, um, and they're effectively leveraged to the amount of fines that actually gets issued by the uh, the, the, the traffic regulators over there. So um, definitely hit by COVID. Uh, Phil was right on that. That it is, it's a, a genuine reopening play in the sense that um, you know when when COVID lockdowns hit in the UK, there were uh, very much fewer cars on the road, and of course um, very much fewer uh, fewer uh, parking uh, incidents or regulations. Um, but as that reopening has come back, you, you've seen the recovery in this business and, and they call it out in their in their um, FY21 results. They highlight the fourth quarter in particular was about 1.5 mil EBITDA um, compared to, to just over 2 mil for the full year. So, you know, if you can sort of um, look to run rate that, that fourth quarter number and get somewhere towards maybe that 6 mil EBITDA or with some growth from an acquisition they made, maybe seven or, or possibly more, um, it starts to look really cheap. It's only a 70 mil market cap and, um, you know, 10 mil net cash, good growth. Um, you know, not only in the UK, but looking to take that uh, parking uh, fine uh, sort of business to Australia, New Zealand as well. And then they've got their core technology business, which you highlighted as well, is primarily what you'd see if you go, went into a Westfield shopping centre or something like that. And it's got the, the green and red lights above the, all, the, all the traffic spots. That's um, 
you know, part of the technology that smart parking does. Um, so look, I found this really interesting. I, I would have it as a buy. I, I don't own it. I, I will caveat that, but certainly chucked it on my watch list when I went and uh, looked at this one yesterday. So um, I thought it was really interesting and uh, valuation stacks up and uh, solid growth could come through, mm. particularly from that COVID reopening. Yep, Ben? Yeah, I, I, I'd echo all of those comments other than I've never really looked at this company before. <laughs> I hadn't heard of it, um, but I was the same. I was, um, I was surprised in what I saw. Um, it looks extremely cheap. Um, as Luke said, 10 million uh, cash on the balance sheet. They're doing an on-market buyback. I think they bought about a million dollars of stock back um, in the last year. It's very illiquid, I would mm. say. So mm. it's um, probably one that a lot of fundies, even the micro cap guys might look at and think it's just too hard. But right. um, and particularly doing a buyback. Yeah, you competing would, against the company. Yeah, you would have thought they'd issue more to make it illiquid, uh, yeah. more liquid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's it. Like I think the thesis also is that land is in cities is becoming scarcer and more valuable, and um, you know you're not going to expand the size of your car park, so you want to try and run them as efficiently as mm. you can to get people okay. in and out, and that improves people's shopping experience, and it probably means they'll go more yep. frequently because we all know how hard. I mean, the Westfields can be a nightmare, yeah. and those red and green lights. They're are good. a lifesaver. Yeah, completely. Now, aren't they? Yeah. I, I didn't realise that was their technology that they put in the car park. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go buy as well. Um, ah, okay. I think it looks Great. All right. All right, for a buy on uh, on smart parking. So, Phil, thank you for that suggestion. We've um, The guys have got onto it. Um, now, Ben, Chris wants a view on Liontown. Uh, it's been caught up in the lithium frenzy. Yeah. Uh, again, over the last couple of days since uh, Tesla came out with those amazing numbers earlier in the week um, and it cracked, um, sorry, Tesla cracked uh, a trillion dollars in valuation, uh, has done a deal with Hertz to sell uh, the rental car company 100,000 yeah. uh, electric vehicles, shooting the lights out. And as a result of that, of course, all the lithium bugs are going, oh, that means more electric cars, more batteries, more lithium by Liontown. Yes, <laughs> I think that summarises pretty well. It's up again today, it looks like. Um, I, I know, it's yeah, amazing. It's oh, extraordinary. Got to say, Pilbara Minerals, Aracobra was also up and yeah. as well. They've been caught up in this frenzy, haven't I they? I mean, it was Look at that. 20 odd cents a year ago. Um, so amazing. Extraordinary. I, I, I Look, again, I hadn't really looked at this one before, but Three billion plus market cap now. Um, it's got 27 million in cash. They um, they believe that they own um, one of the fourth um, best spodumene lithium deposits. It's in West Australia. I, I, I'm going to go a sell on this, um, and I know um, you know everyone is pouring into them, but I just think they are still at least three years away on their own expectations from actually yep. starting to produce. And that what they do have going in their favor is that they 100% own this, this um, deposit themselves. So that's a powerful starting point because the next challenge for them will be, um, you know, sort of getting this, um, getting this deposit up into production. We know that um, they can be highly technical, these sort of mines, and it is literally in the middle of West Australia, very remote. So yeah. um, it's not going to be cheap. And the DFS they're going through at the moment, which is the um, de definitive um, feasible study, that will give them the numbers in terms of what the IRR and you know what the upfront right. costs and all that sort of thing are, are going to be. So as you say, you've, you've got to dig it out, don't you? Yeah. 
And then you've got to work out how you get it yeah. to processing or to a port. Now, if there's a rail line close by, that's terrific. Yes. If there's not, yes. you've got to pay that's for one expensive. yourself. That's yeah. expensive. Yeah. We <laughs> so saw they're, they're the things that you've got to look at. Completely. And I just think, you know, if you're thinking this has got an enterprise value of $2.975 billion, um, they, they need to be making a lot of money in five years' time. And, yeah. But you've also got to think about how are they going to finance the cost of developing this, this, this mine. Um, I've rarely seen, you know, a miner coming bang on, on time in terms of what they were projecting five years earlier. So, you know, I, I just think I, I get why investors are all looking for these, these plays. Yeah. Um, but to me, you know, we were talking about the gold cycle earlier. This is that in reverse. Yeah. And this is when you get wary, I yeah. think. So take your money and run. And if you got in at six cents or 10 cents or 20 cents a year ago, it's been a 10 bagger in a year. Yeah, take some profit get, at least. You don't get many of those, no, do you? not in that period of time either. No, yeah. it's extraordinary. Luke, what do you think about Liontown? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll keep this one brief, Koshy. It's a sell for me as well. Ben, Ben's completely right. I mean, the, the valuation is just extreme. And, and even they've got their DFS about to come out. But if you go back to their pre-feasibility study, um, the net present value of the mine was only $1.1 billion. Now, of course, the market's getting excited and plugging in a much higher lithium price right now. But, um, you know, run some really rough numbers. And, and you sort of need the, you know, sky-high lithium prices that we're seeing at the minute to essentially continue for the next 40 years. And the laws of supply and demand Will, will kick in. You're seeing that with uh, mineral resources announced that the, their Wadjuna mine is coming back online. You know, um, I'm sure more resources similar to Lion Towns, Kathleen Valley will be found around the world and the supply demand imbalance will sort itself out like it always does. And so, you know, I'd be extremely surprised if these lithium prices hold up for a year, let alone 40. And, and so to me, like, I, I just can't see the economical, um, you know, reasoning to have the valuation anywhere near where it is today. Yep. Okay, and if you do sell um, and don't regret your decision if the share price keeps coming up because you've, you've increased your money tenfold in a year and for the, for the investor who buys your shares to get the same return, the share price will have to go to $15. <laughs> and, but see, a, a, a lot of people when they sell out of these stocks are, oh, if only I'd held on. Uh, I would have got the extra dollar. That, that's uh, per share. That's not the point of the exercise, yeah. Luke, is it? It is. No. So take your profit, be happy with it, and move on. Yeah, and, and it's difficult, especially for a mining company, because, you know, for, for an operating business, of course, you know, there, there are levers that management can pull to really grow their earnings into the longer term, be that expansion, acquisitions, all, all sorts of different things. You know, you have a very defined value to a mine, and, and that's why they're about to do this this um, feasibility study, which will, will bring that out. And so, you know, to me, I think it's a, a very simple exercise of, of looking at what is the market paying for that mine right now and, and, and sort of what mental calculations do I have to do to get to that? And to me, it's, it's yeah. well and truly past any sort of reasonable expectation. Yeah. Uh, Luke, Natalie wants a view on Zip, the, uh, the fintech, uh, big in the buy now, pay, pay later space, it and Afterpay are dominated by now, pay later here in Australia. Of course, Afterpay is going to become part of Square. So Zip will be um, the biggest of the pure plays here in Australia. What do you think of Zip? Um, share price has sort of tracked sideways for quite a while now, has it? 
It has. It has. Um, look, I, Zip's a tricky one. I, I'm very negative on, you know, what I would call the third tier buy now, pay laters. Um, you know, open, pay, sezzle, lay buy. There's a bunch of them that have, have sort of popped up in the last couple of years. Zip sort of falls in between um, those those guys and, and, and the real leaders in the space, which are Afterpay, Affirm and, and Klarna, um, with the latter two obviously being based overseas and, and Afterpay possibly soon to be as well. Um, so it's sort of in between. It's, it's, it's reached some scale, and I think there is the potential for a profitable business inside Zip. Um, you're not seeing it right now, given they're spending so heavily on growth and investment. Um, but, you know, on, on my rough numbers, um, they would need another $2.5 billion in, in um, transactional value, which is about 40% growth on what they do now. They do about $5.8 billion, I think, at FY21. And if you assume that they can keep sort of their operating costs relatively stable and, and sort of the, the margin they get between their cost of funding and, and what they get from the, the merchants, um, that would get them to about break even. I don't think that's extreme. I think that's possible. When when would that happen? I don't know, but I think that's possible. So yeah, there's, there's a business here. It's just about how much you pay for it. You know, $3.8 billion now to me is, is a, a very rich business when you're not seeing the... Um, I suppose the, the scale that Afterpay has and the others across a, a user base and a merchant base and the potential for, you know, dare I say, the flywheel effect to come in as, as they attract yeah. more merchants and users to the platform. And it becomes almost a user acquisition channel for merchants to, to use an Afterpay, a, a firm or Klarna. Um, the other thing I did notice in the report, they've kept their bad debts flat year on year, FY20 to FY21. Just watch, though, the uh, the customer receivables. And, and the reason why is that um, their receivables, which were passed due, increased by 220%. But there was only a 79% increase in the actual receivable base. So they haven't they haven't written them off as bad debts yet, but they, ha they are increasing. So that's something to watch the next time they update the half-year report, whether those receivables are coming in. I suspect it's the quad pay acquisition changing their, their sort of user profile and, and Zipper probably adjusting to um, how that all works with their reporting metrics, but definitely something to keep an eye on for people who own it. Um, I, I would have it as uh, at best a hold, but but likely a sell. Yeah, Ben? I'll go hold as well. Um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of Luke's points again. I, I think if you look at valuation, it, it sounds the, the way it's on a revenue multiple, which we're seeing in a lot yeah. of these businesses. And it does look cheap versus those three global leaders that Luke's spoken about, a firm after paying and Klarna is unlisted. Um, but they're trading on about six times revenue at the moment. And, um, you know, the two bigger, closer comparables are on 20 times, roughly. So quite a big valuation gap. Mm. But what has happened in America is the, the growth in the sales um, going through the platform and the users has, has slowed and almost stored. Um, so this is the quad pay business that they acquired right. a year or two ago. And they're ramping up marketing spend, they're rebranding that, that business. And I think um, it will be the results of that that will really turn out. Because what you need to be careful of is that businesses go and spend money, but it's effectively just a customer acquisition cost. So you're just buying customers. Um, and you know, what are you paying to buy those customers? You want to see organic growth from customers without having to spend more money to get them, right. which is what Afterpay managed mm. to do so well through um, you know, influencers and a lot of great marketing tactics. The other thing I'd just say is that the RBA's come out and um, done quite a meaningful change where it's recommending that merchants can pass on the merch fee that an Afterpay or a Zip charges them onto their customers, and whether that has any um, impact on customers mm. choosing to use that to pay rather than their, you know, their Visa card or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, you know, I think less impact on Afterpay, but um, Zip is still probably you know more Australian focused, and 
that will be interesting to see how um, um, fee sensitive the end customer yep. is for the um, you know for the value of the product that they're and, getting. And particularly now that those buy now pay later customers uh, are being offered zero percent credit cards. Yes. Uh, yeah. With thousand dollar limits and no merchant fees or. Um, yeah. admin fees on top of it. Yes, yeah. it's just where for that, for that generation yeah. of consumer. Yeah, and Afterpay is about to launch Afterpay Money, which yeah. I think is going to be a game changer. And you know, we've seen Square with um, their their cash app in America. I think there's yeah. 60 million Americans now use that effectively okay. as their bank account, um, and all the technology around it. So it's that, been really disrupted. Isn't yeah, it? completely. Okay. All right. So a hold for Zip. Uh, let's just recap the uh, the first five, five stocks. Coles a hold. Uh, Regis a hold from both, uh, Nab a sell from uh, Luke a hold from Ben, uh, Smart Parking uh, a, a buy from both uh, from both Luke and Ben, uh, sell if you've uh, been part of the Lion Town run up over the last 12 months, you've done very nicely, take your money and run uh, and zip is a hold. Um, here on the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, Trade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up, like Smart Parking has done today, goes into the calls portfolio. If it comes up again uh, in front of our expert panels and it doesn't get a hold or a buy, it then goes out. Uh, let's see how the portfolio has been performing. About line ball for the week, up two and a quarter for the month up uh, over 7% since the 1st of July this year and since inception up 45% since the 1st of July 2020. Uh, some of the stocks recently added by our expert panel, the Vanguard US Total Market Shares Index, uh, Alcidian, uh, Clinavel uh, Pharmaceuticals, Phineos Corporation and Nickel Mines and Endeavor also was added recently. Some of the stocks removed a2 Milk, Crown, Star Farmer, and Points Bet. You can check out all the stocks and ETFs in the Calls Fantasy Portfolio. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. All right, um, let's get on to uh, our second five stocks. And Luke, Bridget wants a view on Hub24, the wealth uh, management platform. Uh, share prices had a booming 2021 and uh, has just made a uh, bid to acquire self-managed super fund uh, administrator class limited in the last month or so. What do you think of Hub24? Yeah, been a really good business and, and um, really on the back of the, the disruption to the financial planning industry and uh, a lot of the financial planners going independent away from the, the, the major guys who obviously use their own platforms. Um, those guys, uh, if they go independent now, look for, for competitors and, and these disruptor guys and Hub net wealth premium as a few of them listed but um uh, all viable alternatives and, and, and really benefiting from that trend so um has done really well um it's not cheap about 60 times uh, ebitda but you're getting good growth for that um particularly early on in, in that growth it's only about a four percent market share of that sort of advisor market so um you could certainly see that growing strongly over the next few years um for me it's it's too natural to just compare this to, to net wealth um, and, and, and when I do I struggle to see the appeal of owning hub over a net wealth um, they, they both have a similar market share but but hub 38% um, EBITDA margins compared to net wealth at 55 um, net wealth's growing faster had four billion inflows in the last quarter to hub at three and, and, and trades on a, on a cheaper multiple now potentially the market is looking at hub and saying um, there's margin expansion there for hub um, they've, they've digested a few acquisitions over the last few years 
sorry, the last few years, the last major one being uh, Explore. They, they bought a, a, you know, a few months ago and now obviously Class as well. So as Hub digests those acquisitions, build out their product range, you know, maybe the market's expecting its margins to increase and to grow strongly. But when I, when I look at the two and put them together, you know, it, it's hard for me to say I'd come and buy Hub over a net wealth. Yeah, if, if the market is looking at Hub's strategy of sort of diversification and, and, and growth through acquisition as a, as a potential positive, I, I see it more as a risk, to be honest. I think you've got a really good core business with, with um, very strong growth potential behind it over the next few years. Uh, and, and I just don't see why management would want to make that proposition more complex by bolting on acquisitions or looking to bring in new verticals. Mm. And when I look at net wealth, you know, put it beside Hub, NetWealth's just sticking to exactly what it does. It, it manages its platform, it optimizes that platform brilliantly with 55% EBITDA margins. Um, you've got the the father and son team that, that have founded and run that business. And and I just think Hub, you know, for me, it's more of a risk than a, than a potential benefit when I see them acquire businesses like Explore, which I think is a substantially worse business than Hub and, and a lot of work potentially for Hub to get that up to the, the quality where, where Hub was. And then classes to me is a big question mark. It's a completely different vertical. So I, you know, wait and see what the strategic rationale is over the next few years as they drive that. So look, I would have it as a hold on a, on a standalone uh, hub, but but when I put it up against net wealth, I would much rather own net wealth over hub. And, and I think it's natural to put those two together. Okay, all right, a hold. And because uh, it's run by the Heidi family and um, um, <laughs> basically Michael backed his son into it. It's yeah. done well for the done family. Well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd have a hold as well. I think, you know, it was an incredible quarter that they just posted. Three billion dollars was one of the best quarter of inflows that they've had. And as yeah. Luke was saying, you know, $63 billion in farm, but they reckon they've only got 4.5% market share, which just goes to wow. show how big the market is. Yeah. Um, and I I think at the moment, it, it is, there is an element of, you know, there's a bit of a land grab happening, but these these platforms are very sticky. You know, once you a business moves all of its clients onto it, there's a huge amount of upfront um, paperwork and chaos, basically, to get that right. process done. and and. The decision to leave and move somewhere else, I think something would have to go sort of fairly badly wrong. Um, we know that um, uh, uh, Panorama, which is owned by um, BT, had a pretty average outage fairly recently, where I think yeah. the platform was down for nearly a week, and people literally and advisors couldn't trade on it if their clients were. Mm, they're literally cool. having to manually put orders on through a spreadsheet and send it to wow. to them. So that will be interesting to see if that creates more flows for Hub and NetWealth. Um, it's expensive at 70 times forward earnings, but I think you're going to see margins are going to significantly expand. You're going to keep seeing growth in um, in fun. And I think if you look three or four years out, um, these businesses are going to be incredibly profitable and, and sustainably profitable, if okay. that makes sense. So I'm going to say a hold as well, just because I think if you look at the chart, particularly that last one year, you get lots of opportunities to buy this on quite big dips, and yep. um, that's the time I'd, I'd go to a buy. Okay. So do you prefer net wealth? I probably would as well. Hub. Yeah, no. yeah okay. I'd agree with those comments. Um, okay. But I do, I do think Hub is probably under slightly undercharging to probably generate that business. But does that say that their technology is a bit under? Right, yeah. okay. All right, Lily wants a view, Ben, on Kogan, the big online retailer. Lily says reports it's going to be taken out of the ASX 200. Uh, should I buy it? Uh, of course, the Russell Kogan was the sort of guru of uh, online buying and, and set the trend. I noticed uh, Credit Suisse 
Uh, Swiss have a, um, an outperform on it at the moment uh, at a price target of $14. You're either a Kogan lover or a Kogan Completely. hater, aren't you? Yeah. The analysts are the <laughs> they same. Divide, they divide the market. It's very divisive, this stock. Um, and Redbubble's kind of similar, yep. I think, where there's some real believers and there's some yep. real detractors. And <laughs> what hasn't helped, I think, with Kogan is there's been massive insider selling from the CEO and the CFO Every time it has a really good right. run and a, a you know a better than expected quarter, it's yeah. not you know slow selling. It's it's big tranches of stock, yeah. and I, I think that's, which they're allowed to do. They're allowed to oh, do. We're not casting any aspersions on that. Not at all. That, no. But, and they're doing um, it after they've given updates when yes. the market knows what's going on within the business. Yeah. It's just I think some inst- some of the fundies are wary of that, you yeah. know, and yeah. um, under, I think understandably it's a hard. It, you can't you can't um, criticise them for taking money off the table. It's no. probably kind of been the way it's been done has yes. put a few no- noses you can out of joints. That. But look, they've they've had some they they have had some inventory issues. Um, I did notice in their last quarterly they're still sitting on about two hundred million dollars of inventory. So that's definitely something to keep your eye on because, you know. This inventory can age, I suspect, fairly quickly, and customer yeah. trends, buying patterns can change quite quickly as well. But they've said they believe they're on top of the supply chain issues and the inventory issues they have. So that's a horrible chart. It has done nothing since sort of April when yeah. the markets again got really annoyed when the, the founders sold a few more. Um, so is it going to recoup the confidence of the market? I, look, I'm, I'm going to say a hold. I, I'd nearly be at a buy on this. I, mm, you know, I, I think it's really out of favour. But, you know, Kogan believes that they've got 3.3 million active customers that have used yep. the um, platform the last 12 months. Um, they've had their best quarter on record in the last quarter, 300 million in sales. Um, and I think the, the Russell and um, David Schaefer's the CFO, very entrepreneurial, and I, yeah. you know, I, I think they've still got plenty of equity, despite what I said. There's a lot yeah. of incentive to grow this business. So, and I, I just think the market's really, you know, it's on the nose at the moment, despite you know okay. that the numbers are good. So I'll go a hold, but you know, I'll be getting close to close a buy. Close to a buy. Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you reckon, Luke? Yeah, I call these stocks battleground stocks. I agree with you, Koshi, where you either love it or you hate it, and, and you know there's no in between. Um, it, it look obviously benefit, benefited from the online boom through COVID, um, and, and perhaps it's hard to know exactly because the detail wasn't fantastic, but perhaps got a little ahead of itself, and, and you know they really stocked up on inventory, expecting those tailwinds to, to really kick on, and um, something obviously happened there where they found themselves uh, with excess inventory having to discount and, and really taking a big hit to the margins. Um, ben, Ben's correct. They sort of had a comment in the last update uh, saying they thought they were through the worst of those is- issues. Um, whether that's true or not was a bit hard to say because you, you didn't really see the recovery in the margins either. So, so, so sort of pre these issues, they're doing about 9% EBITDA margins. Um, it, at, at the worst of the inventory issues, that got down to about 2% and in this update it was about 3 So a bit of a recovery, but certainly not back to where it was. So. Perhaps management's flagging that recovery has happened and you'll see that margin expansion coming now over the next few quarters. Um, I I agree with Ben, I would have it as a hold. It looks interesting. Um, I think the top line growth is still there. I would just like to see that recovery in the in the operating metrics below that though and and, and see them start to get scale back over that growth they're seeing at the top line. Um, and, and just to point out, you know, you guys are correct around the, the insider selling, but 
there, there, there is a few governance issues with this one that keeps people away and um, just something that I noticed, it's only small, but it, it gets me offside is um, in the latest update, they provided um, growth numbers around the top line. Um, so when, you know, it was, it was a very strong growth at, at the revenue level, but when they came down to the profit level, didn't give you last, last year's number. They just told you what the absolute uh, number was from this update, because obviously it was a, it was a bad comparison. So not a big fan of, you know, you, you cherry pick which, which numbers you want to give to the yeah. market. But um, anyway, I'd have it as a whole. Definitely, uh, Ben's right, put it on your watch list and keep an eye on it because they're, they're seeing some good growth and tailwinds. It's just about waiting for them to get that leverage back over the bottom line. Yeah. Markets hate when management gets a bit too sharp or a bit too smart mm. by half. And it takes yeah. a while just to tell really us, build that just confidence. Just give, give us the numbers and we'll figure it out. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, all right, Sophie wants to view Luke on CleanAway, the big waste management uh, group, and sort of picks up a lot of Australia's bins on bin night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, look, big behemoth of a business, this one. And, and look, it, it's a business that gets genuine scale over size and, and, and location. You know, it's, it's very almost impossible, I think, for a new entrant to come into this market and really compete with a clean away or uh, a bingo as well. Um, so interesting from that point of view. And, and I, I guess it's for those sorts of investors who are after that sort of big, stable business, gives you a little bit of growth. Um, hopefully some operating leverage um, and then and then you know good dividends and things like that on the back end uh, had some impacts from COVID and they called that out pretty specifically um, in particular New South Wales they said was costing about four million EBITDA every month um, so as we see that reopening in New South Wales hopefully that that um, that headwind starts to turn around and, and they can do okay for me, look, it's it's not exceptionally cheap. About twenty times free cash flow. Um, it's not it's not really my style, to be honest. This sort of large uh, large cap that's a bit slower growth, um, and also a bit of debt as well, which is fine. It's the sort of business that can obviously handle some debt, um, but you know about a billion dollars debt or, or one point six times EBITDA. Um, for me to have this as a buy, I would need to see it cheaper. Uh, it's had a good run as you've got the share price up there. I would need to see that cheaper, maybe about 15 times free cash flow or something like that. Um, but I would certainly have it as a hold if I was in the okay. stock. You know, The reason why I own it is for that defensive sort of business, and it certainly gives you that. So I wouldn't sell it if I had it, but I, I couldn't step in with a buy. Yep. Ben? Ditto. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go uh, a hold. It's expensive. There's not a lot of growth, but this the strategic assets they own are indisputable. Yeah. And, um, They've got know, a moat, haven't they, around their business? An incredible moat, because yeah. um, you know we saw Mirror Macquarie's infrastructure arm, they bought Bingo recently, which is right. kind of a similar business in that, if to be profitable in this area, you need to own the landfill, and yeah. ideally you also oh, want to own oh. the recycling and stuff, so you can actually ah. make some money back out of what's going in, potentially, right. to the landfill. And those sites just, you know, they, they're, what is there now is all that will ever be there. In, yep. And, you know, if you are building more landfill sites, it's going to be further and further out of Sydney, which means the trucks have to drive further, which means you're, you're yep. making harder to, to make money. So they've just done a acquisition of a company called Sewers, and um, uh, S-U-E-Z, and that gave them, I think, five, you know, pretty important uh, landfill sites and, and some mm -hmm. recycling um, ability. So... But, you know, like Luke said, it's trading on like 37 times forward earnings and it's growing at about 2% per annum. So right. it's, it's really safe and um, it's, it pays a small dividend, but it's not like the growth is going to start really accelerating. Right. And just the last thing I call out is, um, you know, they did have a, a CEO the market really liked who really built this business very successfully. Is that Vic? 
Yes, yeah, but yeah. there was a... He's now gone to GFG. Yes, yep. and, um, you know, that didn't play out particularly well. So, um, you know, we've a new, ca a new CEO coming in now, but, you know, how much of that was key person reliant and, you know, what they have created is right. what we'll find out in time. Okay. All right, uh, Ben, Zach wants a view. If you're talking about accelerating growth, has this one got it? Event, <laughs> hospitality and entertainment. We, we talk about travel stocks and reopening play. Well, event is travel, hotels, cinemas, yeah. everything that Skiing. got smashed <laughs> during COVID. Yeah, you could not have designed a worse business for, <laughs> for a pandemic. Uh, that, these right. guys own event cinemas. They own Threadbow, Threadbow yeah. and, um, and, you know, um, the Ridges Hotel Ridges chain, Hotel QT chain. Hotels. Yeah. Um, but the thing that this company has in its favour is they own most of their property. And mm -hmm. this is really a property play by stealth, which we see in other businesses like, you know, AP Eagers, Nick Politis's business. Yes, it's a car retailer, but it's really a property business because yeah. he owns those sites and then he develops them. And Event owned $2.1 billion of property and they've oh. got about $300 million in debt. So when they got smashed during COVID, they actually got to a point where they were trading significantly below the value of their properties. Of their assets. Yes, and, and you're getting the businesses that were earning zero for free, but sure. we know that they will come back. And um, we actually did own this company for some years and we recently sold it. It's had a, a really good recovery. Um, it's got great management. Alan Ridge is still the chairman and the major shareholder and he runs this business like it will be around for another 100 years, I guarantee, almost guarantee. But my question mark with Event is about half of the earnings come from um, cinemas. And there's been a couple of things. The first is um, uh, Netflix and the streaming platforms are trying to get legislation through Parliament where they can release um, uh, content simultaneously with cinemas. Uh, cinemas used to have an eight, six or eight week head start. Yeah. That well, could hurt well, them. Well, Disney's doing that at the moment, isn't right, it? Right, on with Disney. Your, with your Disney Plus. And, yeah. uh, you know, like we've seen for some time that content's now going direct to platforms. It's not yeah. getting really... So, Cinemas, I think, are there's a real uncertainty there, and um, you know, I'd probably rather own a Disney, to be honest, than than an event. Yeah. And it's at a five-year high at the yeah. moment, so which is incredible when you think what they've just oh, gone yeah. through. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what do you think, Luke? hundred percent agree with everything Ben just said. Um, you know, I, I full I came to this business fully expecting it to be ugly and, and and to be honest it wasn't too bad revenue wise was don't get me wrong but obviously a really good management team here did a fantastic job through the pandemic of essentially keeping these businesses about break even with with government support don't get me wrong but did, did a fantastic job of, of not losing substantial amounts of money um ben absolutely nailed all the points that i took out of it when i had a look it's it's yeah quasi property play about a three billion enterprise value they call out about a two 2.1 billion uh, property value um, they used COVID to clean up some of their operations, so spun off some underperforming hotels and, um, and, and some property. Uh, Threadbow looks primed for, for next winter, obviously, hopefully no restrictions there. Um, they, again, really maximise the margins in, in, that, in that business. 
And again, he, uh, Ben completely nailed my take on the cinema business as well. Yep. It, it is the key to the, the earnings driver of the business. I actually think the next year, year possibly two, will be good. I, I think there is some real pent-up demand for people to get out and go to the cinema. But longer term, I struggled to be bullish. And, and I noted the exact same thing about Disney Plus uh, because I, I paid $32 or whatever it was for <laughs> The Last Dragon or, or something like that. Um, and it's, it's a massive threat to these guys. So I, I, would, I would probably hold it just because I think you do have some momentum over the next year or two with just from the reopening but a lot of it's priced in so i'd I'd struggle to come in with any real conviction to buy it today all right uh we'll have to do this next one pretty quickly pepper money luke what's your view on the uh on the finance the non-bank lender yeah, Ben sort of hinted at this one before when we were talking about NAB. Um, it's one of these new sort of challenger, uh, not, not a bank, but a non-bank lender to, to the industry. And it looks interesting. It, it, it sort of trades alongside Resimac Group and um, Liberty Financial as well, who are both listed. Um, stacks up fine on evaluation compared to those guys. Looks cheaper than the banks, giving you better growth. Um, you know, you have a more exposure to the sort of that subprime lending. Um, the only sort of not red flag, but thing I would keep an eye on is I, I sort of expected these businesses to get a much stronger um, tailwind from some uh, net interest margin growth as they were able to price some of their um, resi- residential mortgage-backed securities at some um, pretty good prices, to be honest, as we've come out of COVID. But I, I'm guessing there's been some strong competition for, for between the non-bank lenders. And so they've passed most of their um, interest um, savings onto, onto their customers. And in fact, their net interest margin actually went yeah. backwards in the last half. You know, eight to nine times earnings um, gives a good dividend. They'll come out and beat their um, beat their guidance from the prospectus. I have no doubt about that. Look, I, I would have it as a buy if, if you're looking for that sort of business. And, and, and certainly if you put it up okay. against NAB, who we spoke about earlier, I think it's a it's an alternative for people to look at. Riskier, don't get me wrong, but but certainly provides um, more growth, a bit cheaper, um, and, and potentially, yeah, better exposure to that space. Okay. Ben? Yeah, I'd go a hold. Um, I, I'm, I'm always wary of floats coming out of private equity. Um, so um, <laughs> it's only been trading for six months. And yep. The amount of accounting trickery that can be employed in private hands that takes a couple of years to really flush through the accounts can, um, we've just seen it so many times, you know, you can't discount it and you're you're kind of buying from the smartest guys in the room who have owned this business for years and would know it better than any of us. And, um, um, but having said that, it does look cheap. Um, I think a bit of a disappointment, you you really want a company that's probably going to beat prospectus forecasts and they sort of said, we think we're going to hit them. So you, you, I think you always want to be a bit conservative and start to build up a track record of, you know, under promising and over delivering. So yeah. that, and that comes down to that net interest margin that Luke was talking about. So I go hold because I think the valuation um, is quite appealing. But, um, you know, watch those watch those results closely. Right. <laughs> OK, let's just recap the final five stocks. Uh, Hub 24, a hold from both uh, uh, ben and Luke, uh, they both prefer uh, net wealth in this sector. Uh, Kogan a hold as well, but getting close to a buy because it's been smashed so much. Clean away a hold, a Ben Cinema, uh, a no from, uh, from Ben, a hold from Luke. Pepper Money, a buy from Luke and a hold from Ben. Uh, Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital, great to see you mate, thank you kindly. Uh, ben Clark from thank TMS, you. always great to see Thanks. you. Thanks, good to Good to have you be back, yeah. Uh, that's it for our show for today. If you've got any stocks you want me to put to our expert panels, put them in an email to call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. Uh, want to see all the stocks and ETFs in the Calls Fantasy portfolio? Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.